the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, We have some work to do today, and we'll get right to it. Uh, Let me say again uh, that please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email there, the daily wink, so you can be informed every day uh, in your inbox in the morning about what's going on and what you need to know. So today's wink, and uh, in a few moments, we will spend some time, a lengthy interview. I've I re- pre-recorded one of these interviews, so uh, I will tell you that we're going to have a lengthy conversation with Mark Hyman, who is a journalist at Sinclair Broadcasting, who uh, spent a bunch of time breaking down uh, media bias. He called it media bias 101 on his Substack. Very interesting. Uh, we had to pre-record that. So you'll hear that in a moment. And then we'll also speak with Karen Garnett, who's been on the pro-life fight. She is the president of the national, uh, pra- luncheon prayer luncheon for life an organization that started a few years ago out of Texas and not only has a uh, important and wonderful luncheon, but also supports a lot of groups uh, through, through donations and things. Uh, so we'll talk with them. Okay. First, what you need to know, we've got a little less time because I pre-recorded that interview. It's gone a little bit long. What you need to know today. Um, I didn't realize until I went back and looked that for the last few days, I have been talking almost exclusively in the wink about China. Uh, first of all, about the effort for uh, China to get a break on tariffs, uh, which was yesterday. Also, uh, the idea on uh, Tuesday when I was mentioning that uh, we have to be aware of the impact of uh, China and what they're up to when we're talking about everything else. And so anyway, we, I realized that. And today I have to talk about China again, because the news has come out that Joe Biden tapped the historic uh, U.S. Uh, emergency reserves, our oil reserves. Okay, so that's a big deal. It's our reserves in case we're in crisis. We need to get to that, tap that. And Joe Biden dramatically a few uh, um, weeks ago tapped into that. But when he did, he decided he's announced to the world he's going to get about a million barrels a day is going to be released all the way through October. And then the hope is that the release of this uh, million barrels a day from our strategic reserve, the reserve for when we're in trouble, can help us. Critical energy security tool, the Department of Energy spokesman said. That was the phrase they used. Here's the thing. Reuters is reporting first, and others have now followed. Not Fox News, not Breitbart, but Reuters. I I would describe them as left-leaning, but okay, here we are. And they're reporting that more than 5 million barrels of oil of this emergency release were not only sent out of our country, they were sent and sold to China. They were sent and sold, some of it to Europe, but to China. So think about now, uh, uh, in a broad way, you say, well, uh, oil is fungible. As long as you get it out on the market, it's going to lower the cost. Well, uh, maybe you could make that economic argument if you're in uh, you know, uh, macroeconomics in college. The reality is, and it's another instance of putting America last. 
And if it is true that we actually gave our emergency reserves millions of barrels over to the Chinese communists, if we allowed them to buy them, that to me, this is so incompetent. This rises to the level of something that should be there should be an impeachment investigation over. You, you know, you can impeach executive branch officials. So if Biden won't fire somebody, maybe we do that. But it could, if, if he can't figure out, it goes all the way up to Biden or Susan Rice right below Biden, the national security advisor. Somebody needs to be held accountable for what is so insulting and improper and just plain wrong. We're actually going to tap our strategic reserve. And it hasn't worked, right? It hasn't. It, well, it doesn't seem to have helped. It certainly didn't dramatically drop the cost of gasoline, for example. I, whether you whether some uh, again, economists can try to tell me that, well, actually, over the scope of the market, it, you know, it, it helped it. <laughs> Maybe the argument would be it would have been even higher if they hadn't have done it. But the idea that Joe Biden advertised, promoted, speechified about how he was going to release this you know, massive emergency reserve to help alleviate our troubles. And instead, it went out on the market and was sold to the Chinese. It's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. It should, it's impeachable in my mind. At least begin the investigation and find out why. That's what I say. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we will visit uh, with uh, Mark Hyman and also Karen Gannett. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, a few months ago, probably four or five months ago, um, it got on my radar, the National Prayer Luncheon for Life. And when I looked at it, I thought, look at all these incredible people that are being honored, that are being identified, people that were uh, finalists for uh, awards. And it was extraordinary. And I and I think because of COVID, maybe it was a couple of years, I hadn't kind of quite seen all the details. And so uh, Karen Garnett came on the program. And Karen uh, is one of the leaders of the effort of the National, let me get the website, Right, National Prayer Luncheon for Life, National Prayer Luncheon for Life, uh, and so she came on, and we, I think we had you on twice, Karen. We were getting ready for it or building up to it, the big luncheon, which was I think late March. Um, so first of all, congratulations! I heard from lots of people a great success of the event uh, and uh, lots of attention on life, and then of course here we are post Dobbs, which is uh, obviously part of the reason to be praying so hard, but lots of other things to pray for. So congratulations and welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Ed. It's so great to be back. So first, give us an update on how uh, the National Prayer uh, at that time, um, late March, had the Alito dis- decision leaked? The first leak, was it out already? No, the okay. leak happened on May the 2nd. The luncheon oh. was on, Mar- yeah, luncheon was March 25th. The leak was May 2nd. Okay, so you were still, no one knew much. You were sort of, but tell me about the event a little bit. I mean, the success, I uh, live action, I think, won a big award, but yes. a lot of people were honored. So tell me a little bit about it, please. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and honestly, um, Ed, you didn't miss it during covid the last year that we had the old version of the of the National Prayer Luncheon for Life, when it was a counter to plan Parenthood same day same time luncheon, oh. that was a that was when it was a, a fundraiser for our heroic media ministry. Um, I ministry. See. This, so this was year two of the new National Prayer Luncheon for Life, where we give out it's an hour of power prayer centric hour with prayer leaders leading us through, and then at the end we announce live and present the Pro-Life Impact Award, and $100,000 in Pro-Life Impact Grants. And those were all determined by votes 
from pro-lifers across the country. So um, it's a lot of fun. And this year, Live Action got the award and the $50,000 grant, and then Embrace Grace, the $20,000 grant, the uh, the Radiance Foundation, the $15,000 grant, and then Pro-Love Ministries, Pro-Life Action League, and Support After Abortion each received a $5,000 Pro-Life Impact Grant. So uh, big, because I know it happens as soon as you finish an event like this, you're at least thinking about next year. Has the date been set next year? Yes, yes. So nominations will open 2023. Yep. Yep. Nominations will open on October the 1st. Okay. And then um, the ballot will select the ballot from the nominations. And then the date to save on the calendar is Friday, April the 21st in 2023. And it's again from 12 to 1 Central Time. You can join us in person in Dallas, Texas, or virtually from all over the country. Uh, we're talking again with uh, uh, Karen Garnett and the uh, website again is national prayer You can find out more. Okay. So um, Karen, how'd you react to uh, Dobbs? I mean, I, we we're friends only through the radio. So I, and whatever number of months, years this is, but a lot of people have been waiting a long time and a lot of people weren't even sure how to react. How did you react to Dobbs? Oh gosh, Ed. Well, I live in Dallas. Um, right. I've been in Dallas for 42 years and I remember as a 10-year-old, when the Roe decision was handed down, I lived in Virginia at the time and, and how it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, you know, six years later, my family would move to Dallas. And then a, a few years after that, I would end up being called to work full-time in pro-life. I've been in it for 33 years. And that I would meet and become very close friends with with Norma McCorvey, <clears throat> the Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade. Mm, wow. So for me personally, yeah, I was with Norma in her final days in the hospital and hospice and all of that when she passed mm. away five years ago. Um, but it, it, I've been in this a really long time. And, um, <laughs> and I knew the, the Roe of Roe v. Wade personally, and I knew how much the decision grieved her. And I guess I always had a, de- a sort of a resolve and a determination internally that I would see Roe reversed in my lifetime because mm-hmm. it's so unjust, right? Right, right? And injustice can only last for so long. However, I mean, we have battled and battled and battled. This has been 49 years. And it it really, I mean, so many victories have been won. So many gains have been have been made. But we had to have the court. The court had to be, with the makeup of the court, had to be achieved in order to accomplish this amazing historic. I, I mean, we're just off the ground with excitement with Dobbs v. Jackson. Mm-hmm. And that happened. Uh, honestly, the turning point was in the summer of 2016 when mm-hmm. honestly, Marjorie Dannenfelser stood up and, and chaired the newly formed pro-life coalition. I have to go back and see what the exact name of that was for that very unlikely and unpopular nominee on the the, (laughs) life side. I mean, you know, I I mean, but yet what, what alternative, what was our alternative? It was either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And when he made those pledges, when Marjorie presented and he pledged to nominate originalists to the constitution, which I'm sorry, to the Supreme court, which would result, he said it, he said it in the debate, it would result in the overturning of Roe because they would properly, they would properly interpret the constitution and there is no constitutional right to abortion. There is none. 
So when it, when the decision came down, um, I mean, we were all anticipating after the leak went out and it, right. and it, you know, looked to be five to four, right. but there was all that speculation that chief justice might try to lobby one of them to not overturn Roe, to uphold Dobbs like he did, but right. not overturn Roe. We didn't know. We didn't right. know. Right. Um, so honestly, yeah, when it came out, I was, we, I was watching SCOTUS blog live on my phone right. <laughs> and yep. 10, 10 a.m., we have Dobbs. It's like, oh my gosh, we yep. have Dobbs. And then to see that we won, um, I, I can't even, be, I can't, honestly, I can't begin to tell you the joy that I have felt in my heart, even though we're not done. This is the a major first domino, domino that had to fall, but we are still in the war until every life is protected. Uh, well, again, we're talking with uh, Karen Garnett. And if you, again, if you go, um, she is the, I think your t- title is, are you the president of the, of the, yes. uh, of the national prayer luncheon for life, but also she's uh, works at heroic media, does great things in terms of the uh, media and bringing life and, and uh, conservatism to it. Um, Karen, uh, when you, I, I agree with everything you said, I was getting goosebumps as you were saying it. I, you know, and I, I was at her side with when the late Phyllis Schlafly was promoting and, and, uh, and identifying, Donald Trump and and said she believed him uh, in his life position and believed he could win and all these kinds of things. And so, you know, she's deceased and now watching from heaven. And, and uh, I'm, I'm certain and saying I got that one right, too, there. Um, so but I so I was listening and, and sort of reveling in the history. And then and then yet someone like you so successful in communication uh, brought it around to the end it's sort of just started like, okay, we did it. I mean, that's it. But, and lots of, and I, I remember um, I had Tamara Scott on the radio show and she described, or it was on a prayer call and she described how she was choked up. And, and for some reason what popped in my head was those times, Karen, I'm sure you did too, where you'd go to a, an abortion clinic, you know, when we were busy, you and I and other people doing pro-life stuff. And then you'd say, well, they're having an event over there or they're doing something. You'd go there and you'd see these often little old ladies just praying there, right? Mm-hmm. Every day, faithfully, every Friday they go, every Thursday they go, every Tuesday they go, they pray, 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 pray. And those people who lived and some didn't live to see it, it's just extraordinary. On the other hand, when you're done, you and I look around and say, okay, now the forces of darkness and death didn't stop. They didn't say, okay, you won. They said, okay, watch this. We're going to go telemedicine. We're going to go yes. abortion pills in the mail. We're going to go uh, all kinds of things. And in um, so- the wind is at our back in terms of the courts, but in terms of the culture, it's still, there's a lot of forces to be uh, dealt with. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, it, you know, at, at the uh, Students for Life of America put on the National Pro-Life Summit back in um, D.C. on January 22nd this year, the day after the National March for Life. And Michael Knowles was one of the keynotes. And he said, as we were all anticipating and hoping that we were going to get exactly what we got with this this uh, majority opinion, he said, you know what it's going to be is it's not the beginning of the end. It's the end of the beginning. Right. The first <laughs> chapter was this 49 year, you know, sad under the cloud of Roe v. Wade. Right. With the justices have sent it back to the states and their elected representatives to make the decisions. That's that and that's not sustainable long term because it's very similar to slavery. Right. Where right. you have something that's unjust. If, if some states are voting that killing children should be legal. We know that that is always wrong. So we have to continue working to win the war, the constitutional amendment, full protection nationwide. So we have this, you know, this checkerboard now of, um, we already have Ed, and just since June 24th, we already have 10 states that are 
already abortion-free states, legal protection in 10 states already, Texas mm-hmm. being one of them. Very excited yeah. about that. But um, yeah, this is it. We, we now have to, we have to laser focus our efforts on those states that where it's still quote, legal, okay, and like California, New York, Illinois, declaring themselves, you know, abortion sanctuaries. But you said it, Ed, we have to be sure. And and I have to, I'm very happy to be able to say that our company is on the the, the front end of this whole fight them with the telehealth, go head to head. We just launched on the 4th of July, a joint venture project with Thrive Plus Women's Express Healthcare out of St. Right. Louis. Bridget yep. Van Means is yeah, one of yeah, our of course. We board Bridget, members. Yep. And yeah, we, we're on that. Um, and we have to get on the front end of, of convincing young women that there's a better alternative to abortion. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's another way, and it's a better way. So this is the moment for all of us in, in the pro-life movement, all of us who believe in pro-life, whether you consider yourself in the movement or not, all pro-lifers to, to just come, make sure we're stepping up and coming alongside women facing unexpected pregnancies who who need support and also i just have to say this too yep. the, the millions and millions and millions who are suffering from abortion experiences we did nationwide research consumer research in conjunction with our friends at support after abortion and found out that 9 out of 10 people do not know where to go for healing after abortion. Mm -hmm. And there's an estimated 22 million people who would go for healing if they knew where to go. So this is that moment as well. when abortion is now, you know, it's now illegal again, thank God in so many States, it will be harder for people to get abortions if, if they, you know, can't travel or don't want to go the the medical do it yourself. Right. And, and another note on that, real quick, is I talked to I had Mike Seibel on our podcast show recently, and he's an amazing attorney out in New Mexico. He actually believes that the whole do it yourself chemical abortion as the new way for the abortion industry is going to have a boomerang effect because there will be lawsuits brought yeah. against the abortion industry because of the tremendous harm that will happen with women who are doing the do it yourself abortions. So yeah, the landscape has changed the culture. We're going to continue to influence the culture for life and beauty and goodness and truth and, and all that is uh, that God has in mind for us as his people. Well, congratulations, Karen, for uh, two things. One is the success. Well, three things of the prayer, a luncheon. Um, I saw great momentum this year and I think you're really onto something and it's a great way to bring people together. The second thing is congratulations on the success of, uh, of Dobbs. And, and as you point out, all of us, we watched and, and said, wow, you know, by the way, I'll brag a little bit because you know, your Texas, your, your Texas brag and Missouri within like an hour, attorney general yes. uh, Schmidt signed the thing and said, we have a trigger law. So I think we claim Bridget and I claim Missouri as the first in a lot of things, but we will go into it. We'll have a different conversation with you about that another time, Karen. But the last thing I'd say is you uh, and your team, especially, you know, you mentioned Bridget, but you in particular, like uh, Phyllis used to teach us, you know, happy warriors, even when we're sort of losing, when we had row over us as a shadow, you have great joy. And I think people feel that. And, uh, and that's a big part of being able to succeed to not just win, in the courts, but also win hearts and minds and, and love people like I think we're called to. So congratulations on that too. So thank you, Karen. 
Thank you, Ed. And thank you for all that you do, Ed. I mean, you have such a great following and you get the word out and you get the truth out. And that's that's what we need. It's all about truth. Yep. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. All right. The, the uh, Mutual uh, Admiration Society meeting is over. Uh, Karen and I, thank you. And we'll talk again very soon. God okay. bless your work. So uh, it's God Ed Martin. You. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So early this morning, I got an email. Um, I, I, got, I think I remember signing up, but I know I value it now. Uh, Mark Hyman has a Substack, and I'm on his list, uh, uh, and I get a notification when he's writing. And I thought, boy, you know, I need to email and f- see if I can get him on the show because he writes really interesting stuff. And the Substack, I'll put it up on social media. Uh, and this one was the Whiskey Rebellion, the first insurrection and the first pardons. And I thought this is a, a from his book, Pardon Gate, how Bill and Hillary Clinton and their brothers profited from pardons. Uh, but it's great historical perspective. And it was a fun write up. And I thought, let me talk to Mark Hyman. And so he's with us. Mark, uh, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for having me on, by the way. I love it when you use the word fun. Because sometimes, <laughs> even with yeah. serious topics, we yeah. can have just a little bit of fun. And this is a great example, because how many times have we heard all these superlatives about everything that takes place today this has never happened before this is the first time never seen (laughs) right right i'm kind of a student of history and i go well actually it's not only happened before it's happened 27 other times (laughs) well and we're talking to mark hyman and i I will put up one of his other books it's called washington babylon from george washington to donald trump scandals scandals that rock the nation and and the thing made me smile about that mark is i tell somebody i ran an election board in st louis city in 2005 and six if you think there's never cheating, you haven't run an election board. There's always something. And if you go back and look at the histories, there's some really funny, wild characters that are involved in, say, election fraud and election questions and all that. And so, you know, it's like and, and none of it, if you're sane, should make you too crazy. It makes you kind of laugh. And then you say, well, how do I make the system work better? So but on this one, um, do, you know, part of what makes me really um, shake my head hard is the branding of January 6th into an insurrection in the sense that, and you're, you know, you're a communicator, you won lots of awards as a, as a journalist, you know, how you frame things and it becomes how you understand them. And yes, it was a riot. Yes, there was lots of things, but an insurrection, I mean, and, and yet pretty successful reframing. You know, actually, if, if we take it back one step further, and I encourage your listeners to not only um, subscribe to my Substack. It's yep. free. It costs nothing. They <laughs> can subscribe to it. It's markhyman.substack.com. I have today's The Whiskey Rebellion. A month ago, I had one I titled Media Bias 101. And what I did it was a comparison between January 6th and the reporting by three news organizations, CNN, The Washington Post, The New York Times, and contrasted that with how the same three organizations reported the 2011 onslaught against the Capitol in Madison, Wisconsin. Right, People right, forget yep. about all that. And the reason why I bring that up is while today's media likes to refer to January 6th as an insurrection, it's an insurrection. It was a riot. It was a mob. right. When it came to 2011, the New York Times called it a rally. (laughs) We're talking about 725 people who invaded the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, according to federal authorities. 7,000 invaded the Capitol in Madison, Wisconsin, and occupied it for 25 days. 
January 6th, it was occupied for five hours. It was cleared by 7 p.m. that night. So you look at these three entities that covered very similar events and covered them differently, and they use the term insurrection, which is a really curious term. And that actually comes out of federal law. There's federal legislation that addresses what's an insurrection, and that's 18 U.S. Code, paragraph 2383. And it's interesting, out of the 725 people who've been charged with various crimes on January 6th, mm-hmm. 640 were charged with some form of trespassing, either failure to leave a, right. a prohibited area or so forth. So out of the remaining 80 some odd, mm-hmm. how many of those were charged with insurrection? Zero. Mm-hmm. Not a single person has been charged with the crime of insurrection. It is a federal crime. So how can you have an insurrection if no one's even been charged with an insurrection? Right. That is worthy. And that's kind of some, some background. So for your viewers who are interested, or rather for your listeners who are interested yeah. in this entire topic, go back and look at Media Bias 101, which is my Substack column from early June. And it sets it up for today's column, which addressed the whole issue of, let's call it insurrection, because that's the term everyone uses. The very first insurrection occurred (laughs) only two years into George Washington's presidency, and it didn't meet any definition of an insurrection, although that's what they called it back in the day. Right. It was Western Pennsylvanians who took umbrage at the new federal excise tax on the production of domestic whiskey, and they fought back against that And there were a lot of firsts. So it was the first insurrection. It was the first time the federal government raised a standing army, 13,000 federal troops. George Washington, as president, raised that in the summer of 1794. And they chased down these insurrectionists, (laughs) caught less than two dozen, tried them all. Only two were convicted. But. They didn't go anywhere with that because they determined the two leaders, one was feeble-minded, the other was insane, Mm -hmm. and then George Washington issued pardons to everybody else who might have participated in it. So that was the first insurrection, the first over heavy handed government response. <laughs> I was just going to say that. So, 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 but Mark, so the power of, so, and, and it's so important what you just said, because even Washington, obviously they were trying to get control of things and they were, and probably if you go back in time and you could interview Washington, he'd say, well, it, it, you know, it was not particularly, you know, I, nobody was really scared, but we had to do something to tell everybody we're in control, right? I mean, it's, and, you know, everybody loves Washington. So we go, oh, well, we trust him. We trusted him to do it. And I think the problem with January 6th is a lot of the people with a straight face, Liz Cheney and Pelosi and Biden are saying, oh, yeah, it's so scary. We got to get things under control now because it could go wild. And maybe back then there was a fear that that could have happened because it was only 10 or 15 years before, you know, after some people, including Washington, had actually, you know, caused an independence uh, movement. But in this case, it's not even close. I mean, it's there's no evidence of anything. And and yet. It's working, in my mind, it's working to lump them together. Absolutely. And when I, when I wrote the piece, Media Bias 101, right. I didn't approach it as someone who either supports or dislikes Trump. It had nothing to do with it. I just approached it as an investigative journalist. And I looked at more than 120 articles and stories that CNN, Washington Post, and the New York Times produced in 2011 during the four weeks that there was this mob that stormed the Capitol in Wisconsin 
Again, 7,000 people stormed the Capitol and occupied it for 25 days. It was the same scenario. There were there were people running down the hallway screaming, we want you, Walker. They're talking about Go- Governor Walker. We want right. you, Walker. The police had to escort legislators out of the building, fear for their safety. Business was shut down. It Everything was identical in terms of the allegations between January 6th and February and March of 2011. Everything was identical. But again, the news outlets referred to January 6th as a mob, as a riot, as ins- insurrection. But 2011, the New York Times called it a rally. A rally is what a high school does the day before the big game. That's a rally. Right, right. Not right. when you storm a building, knock over police officers, inflict damage. It was finally shut down when they started finding live ammunition inside the Capitol building. That's when a federal judge said, okay, guys, shut this that's, down. That's no, longer, that's no longer a rally. But it's Mark, no what's, longer a rally. What's the, it's, I hate to say this, and, I, and I, someone will quote it back to me and say, look at that. What a, you know, what a, what a nincompoop. When George Washington used the government against the people to put down the Whiskey Rebellion, if it was wrong, it was the government acting wrong, and the government was pretty young and not so strong, et cetera. What's different now is it's not only the government, in this case, Congress holding a hearing that's real propaganda, but the media is really far gone. And as I tell people over and over, it's not so much that the front page of The New York Times is lying. It's that the sophisticated big tech and big media working together are reshaping what you even it's what you see and what you know. And so they're kind of they're not kind of they're taking advantage of the power that they have now to really brainwash a bunch of people. And again, Mark, you, you know, you're, you're a journalist for decades. It's working, isn't it? It certainly is. There, there, there is sometimes a, a small ray of sunshine. Um, <laughs> Alex Berenson, who was a former New York Times reporter, yeah. who came out strongly against the, the vaccine and was kind of we'll call it a COVID critic. He just got reinstated to Twitter today. He was permanently suspended in August of last year for promoting propaganda. Well, long story short, there was a lo- uh, litigation and Twitter came around and they restored him and now apologized for all that they said about him. So here was someone who was pretty knowledgeable, had a lot of information, was not only branded by Twitter as promoting propaganda, but uh, NBC News and Business Insider came out with pretty strong articles calling him a conspiracy nut and seriously damaging his reputation. It looks like some of that has come clear because Twitter, it looks like it's had, the terms haven't been disclosed, but they did restore him to the platform. They apologized and said they shouldn't have removed him to, from to begin with. So it's difficult unless you're someone like an Alex Berenson who takes the time, effort and the expense to fight this. You're going to be trampled by the, the Twitters and the Googles and the Facebook and the YouTubes because they have that power. And what we don't know, and I think Alex is pursuing this legally, is what role did anyone have in any office in the government encouraging Twitter yeah. and someone like him? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, well, and so, and Mark, I, I'm, 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 we're talking with Mark Hyman. And again, to, uh, I'll put it up on social media, markhyman.substack.com. It's a free the Substack. It's not the ones that charges you for a subscription. You can certainly support his work there, but Mark Hyman, H-Y-M-A-N.substack.com. Um, Mark, when you watch a story though, with an arc, like say now the, the one in our history, you, COVID is one too with Alex, but uh, let's do Russia, 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 the Russia hoax. And you watch the Mueller investigation go on for months, you know, a couple of years finally breaks. And when it breaks, it's, you you know, kind of the old labor secretary, Raymond Donovan under Reagan, when he was acquitted after being charged with basically being a mafioso, he said, which office do I go to to get my reputation back? And and so, you know, and meaning he wasn't going to his, I don't know if his business was ruined, but he was certainly no longer labor secretary and all the rest. In this case, is there a way that you see the January 6th fever breaking that sort of allows the truth to be out there, or are we just going to end up when it's done with the job of the ABC news producer who's working with the select committee, you know, former ABC news producer in brainwashing, I don't know, 50 million people to believe. Yeah, there were, you know, there was, there was Watergate and those hearings at Watergate. I never saw a minute of them, but they were bad. And then there was the select committee in January 6th, uh, just like Watergate. And it was bad. I didn't see any, you know, I'm being facetious. Most Americans won't see any of it, but they'll associate them. But is there something that breaks that makes you say, oh, we know it's nonsense and we're not going to take it? Or are we just living in a world where we're going to go through this over and over again? It's going to take some time and it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some people who are willing to take some arrows in the chest. I don't know. Can I say that without getting zing for some sort of <laughs> well, cultural appropriation? But, you know, the, fir- the first guy in the battle is going to take a lot of hits. But I'll tell you, as a journalist, this is what I look forward to. Right. Let's assume there's a change in the majority in Congress in Jan- as of January 2023. Mm-hmm. The first thing I'd want to know, and I'm going to preface by saying, no one keeps good news secret. No one right. keeps good news secret. Right. I'd want to know it's in those 14,000 hours of surveillance yeah. video that good Nancy point. Pelosi has kept locked up. Because that's going to tell us a whole lot more. So there have been bits and pieces have been released out there. Not a whole lot, but there's some where you literally see Capitol Hill officers pulling back the bicycle uh, gates or, you know, the, uh, the barriers and opening doors and ushering people in. If much of what is on that surveillance video is something like that, that's going to speak volumes to the public. Were there people who, who engage in bad behavior? Absolutely. I did a whole piece on this about not only the coverage of January 6th, but also related to the issues. I did a very long piece about the the Russia investigation. I lay it out in great t- detail. It's gotten quite a bit of uh, positive feedback. And by the way, all my columns have lots of links. People can find all <laughs> right. the sources. Nothing's right. kept secret. They can find everything that I've I've addressed. And so here's an opportunity for people to read my Russia piece. In fact, I titled it "The Pulitzer." honoring unhinged conspiracy theories. (laughs) Right. Um, And I mentioned that because uh, that was uh, the 2018 National Reporting Award by Pulitzer for national reporting was given jointly to the New York Times and Washington Post for Mm -hmm. collective 20 articles. Amongst those 20 articles, they had more than 325 unnamed or anonymous sources. Just think about that. 325 unnamed or anonymous sources. In many cases, their articles had their few sources on the record contradicted their unnamed sources, but they (laughs) continued with the narrative of the unnamed sources. So to get back to your original question, 
Are we going to see something come around? I got to tell you, 2022 has really been a tough year for a lot of folks. I think there may be some more skepticism today than there has been in the past. Maybe if we see 14,000 hours worth of video released, maybe if there's some follow-up about what really took place with COVID-19, let's take a quick look at that. Were all the actions appropriate? Um, We can see some of the fallout. No one has to be an expert to realize that kids aren't doing well in school. There seems to be more mental health challenges. All of these may may have resulted from what's taken place. I think a lot of questions need to be asked. And then a lot of responsibility falls on the shoulders of guys like me. Mm You know, Anyone who's in my field, we need to do a better job collectively of being honest adjudicators. It's funny, when I write some pieces, people accuse me of being on one side or the other. I I don't care. I I don't go in with the preconceived idea of supporting one guy or one girl. Right. Or a particular program. I'm just going to look at the facts. I'm dispassionate about it. The problem is many of the topics I address tend to fall on what many people consider the center right. <clears throat> right, right. That's because yeah. my colleagues in the national media do go in with a narrative. They do yeah. want to put a spin on it. So, you know, I'm hoping that we'll see some changes. And I hope people ask a lot more questions and I hope people have open minds. Yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things to hope for, but I, I agree with you. All right. Uh, let me say it again. Mark Hyman.substack.com. Thank you, Mark. I got to run. Uh, we'll have you back on again though. Excellent uh, points and great commentary moving around. We moved into two, two or three, maybe three of his columns there. So you want to go to Substack and read those. So thanks again, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right. We'll take a break everybody. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. If you want to effectively counter the political left, you have to understand the way they operate. It's not just that they don't follow the same rules that we follow. They aren't even playing the same game. For instance, when conservatives say that we want to pass a bill to save infants who are born alive from being murdered... We really mean that we want to pass a bill to save born-alive infants. When leftists say that they want to forgive $100,000 of student loans, they actually want to shock conservatives so much with the high number that we feel good about ourselves by only letting them forgive $10,000 in loans. From the very beginning, the left knew that they would only get $10,000, but they asked for more so that they would get what they really were after by the time negotiations were over. Let's apply this principle to the current controversy over transgenderism. The left claims that they want to subject young children to wrong sex hormones and irreversible surgeries to cut off healthy body parts. Before you react, let's think about what the left is actually trying to do here. Do they want to mutilate young children? I think the answer is a very solid yes. However, what they want you as a conservative to say is this. You can't do that to children. Children aren't old enough to consent. Before you know it, the conversation is not about whether it's moral or immoral for doctors to profit from cutting off healthy body parts. Instead, we're just talking about whether we should do that to minors. The compromise position becomes letting doctors cut up adults, but not children. Then in a few years after society has gotten used to the depravity of transgender surgeries for adults, the left will come back around and finish the job they started by forcing these surgeries on children. Don't fall for this trap. The answer to leftist calls for transgender surgeries for kids is to say that no doctor should be allowed to mutilate someone's healthy sex organs, whether a child or an adult. 
These so-called doctors should go to jail and their would-be victims should receive counseling, not affirmation. This issue and others like it are exactly the kind of thing we'll be talking about at Eagle Council in September in St. Louis. If you'd like to, join us there. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me uh, do something that I keep uh, getting a couple. I got a few requests from folks on email or texting about um, where to go to learn more about some stuff. Let me just tell, walk you through this. Um, obviously, ProAmericaReport.com is where you can get all the show um, segments and a lot of the, the uh, um, support documents and all. There'll be standalone links, the podcast, everything else. But also a lot of what I do and I cite is over at phyllisschlafly.com. So the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, our organization, is a nonprofit that Phyllis Schlafly founded years ago. And there we have all kinds of sort of backup for what we're doing. Research papers, commentaries, links to books, all kinds of things that are available for you to understand these issues in a very good searchable database. So if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you hear any topic, you want to you know, do a search for uh, liberal world order and new world order, which we were talking about the other day, you want to go to search for abortion, partial birth abortion, judicial supremacy, Roe v. Wade, any topic you can think of, phyllisschlafly.com, very useful website for that searchable database, lots of great writing and primary sources. So check that out. Thank you. For that. That's a good question. All right, everybody, listen, I got to finish up. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, Joanna, our associate producer, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again very soon. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.